Welcome to Dice in Mind, a podcast hosted by Brad Brown and Jason Kaufman to explore the intersection of life, games, science, music, philosophy, and creativity through interviews with leading creatives. All are welcome in this space. I'm increasingly interested in um, people who write, not just even do the RPG design, but people who write for RPGs. We've talked to a number of folks about it, and it's just something that's. In, I find I'm more interested because yeah. they are writing about they're writing in a gaming world, and they're writing in obviously fiction whether it's be the adventures mm -hmm. or the content that describes how to do the gameplay itself, even if they aren't the designer. Fan fiction can still be literature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and this goes, and again, I don't want to, you know, we we're doing captain's log and that's kind of what thought, you know, we've, we've talked to folks that have edited and written um, source books, core rule books, things for different games. Um, it's just it's it's an increasingly interesting area for me for creatives and um, the folks that not only can do that, but can do so many other things at the same time. And I think um, the guest we have tonight is um, a phenomenal example of someone who um, is in many ways a um, renaissance renaissance man renaissance person i think that's fair you know just around the fact of what they what they do what what our guest does on a daily basis in addition to his involvement yeah. with star trek adventures yeah yeah i i i agree with that i mean we we get to talk to so many interesting people although uh as as we'll hear shortly this interview it went in in a direction that we weren't expecting nor was he no but yeah. it's just it, it's just where we went and it it makes for what i think you and i consider one of the more important discussions we've had on dice in mind it's 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 something that you and i offline have been talking about well, literally since the very genesis of the podcast. I mean, uh, as soon as, e e actually even, bef even before, Brad, you and I kind of walked into interviews, right? And, and Dyson Mind became uh, this interview-based format. Um, you and I had from the start been interest in, interested in looking at at diversity, equity, inclusion, at just just blatantly talking about about racism and other bigotries, um, as they pertain or through the lens of RPGs and just whatever, and yes, you and I have addressed it in some episodes, but we've we've been talking for two years actually uh, about mm -hmm. how to how to bring this uh, in a meaningful, substantive way to Dyson Mind, which yes. was not even remotely on our minds when we began this interview. And so um, I, I don't want to say too much more, but we are we are really grateful to, to Michael Dismuk to for joining us and for really just diving in. Um, and it was just it was such a 
it was such a good conversation. It, it not to diminish anything we've talked about with anyone else, but this one I think feels to us, could I say, like one of the more important, bigger picture conversations we've had beyond like just fascinating, meaningful, intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an area that we've wanted to address um, in some form or another. We just didn't quite, we hadn't quite put all, you know, connected all the dots to find a way to do it. So for us to fall or to kind of, I don't want to say fall, and that's wrong terminology, for us to head in that direction in this conversation um, was one of those where when I think we we both when we both got offline, um, we were we like, were "That's just, awesome." That was, I mean, I literally, I I have this with with almost every conversation, yes. but it's a, just a different level of kind of like warmth and feel like um, not only is it a great conversation, but it was an education for me. Yeah, and I mean, full disclosure, you know, I when it comes to when it comes to uh, issues and problems in this country and even globally around race, gender, belief, uh, attire, sexuality, right? When it, when it comes to the bigotries we are all seemingly surrounded by in society, I mean, full disclosure, I regularly am talking about and teaching this stuff in my courses, right? I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm, this is not new material for me, but you know, you and I have talked about from the beginning. You know, this is not a journalistic podcast. No, uh, uh, very intentionally not. We. This is not the purpose. There are many others who do that much, much better than we would or could. It's not what got us into Dyson Mind, and it's not what we. It's not the purpose, and we don't think it's why people listen to us. All four of you. That said, and we thank you for that. That said, um, once in a while, these really almost magical things happen while we're talking with intelligent, insightful, sensitive, aware people. And 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 this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, we I always feel like I'm educated in some form or another on when we have these interviews um on many different topics. This one was just this one was special. Um, it was, and 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 the the discussions we had even outside of it. Um, obviously, we even we asked Michael. I think on the on the episode and outside of it, after we were hit done recording, that we really would love to have him back. Um, yeah, not only to outside. talk, yeah, not only to talk Trek, but to talk leadership. To talk, mm-hmm. he has such a a breadth and scope of knowledge. Um, we couldn't even. Yeah, we, we couldn't even touch on everything that his, we wanted to. His Silicon Valley experiences, as you'll hear, they run deep. Yeah, absolutely. Michael Dismuke is a certified professional in talent development and certified leadership development and succession strategist. He is a national speaker trainer and consultant, a freelance writer for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, and a published comic creator. Finally, it took us about 16 minutes. Yeah, I love that. Rocketeer shirt. And 
Um, it took yeah, us about 16 awesome. minutes. We should have probably hit record 15 minutes ago. Oh, yeah, we lost totally a lot have. of good yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 So, so this is going to be like a five minute episode. We're sorry <laughs> you all missed it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And it won't be deleted like the one Jason did. It will so, not be. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. Michael, thank you for joining us. Yeah, this is great. Um, my really pleasure. appreciate it. Um, I break in the fourth wall. I don't know ultimately where we were able to join you and Jim on your podcast. And now mm-hmm. you're coming and joining us. At mm-hmm. some point, they will come out and they will all be out at the same time. We don't know when that will be. Yeah. Um, really looking forward to it. Hope so. But um, there's so much we can talk about beyond just the work you do yep. writing with Star Trek Adventures. And we do want to get there. Oh, but yeah. I got to ask, because we were talking before about some of the stuff you've done in the past. What? I'm trying to not make this too much of a softball where you're like, where do I begin? Um how did you kind of get started in in a career that drove you towards writing? Yeah, that's really our number one question. Um, so how did I get started writing? I'm gonna have to say yeah. how did I get started yeah. writing yeah. because yeah. most people most people start writing before they get a career in writing, right? Mm-hmm. So so I was um, my, the biggest mistake my mom ever made. She says is when I was nine years old, we were in Shasta Lake. Con- oh, in 1983, eight years old, and we were in Shasta Lake. Uh, California on a houseboating trip and the houseboat would pull up to this store that was in the middle of the lake and I got out and I was just a little kid wearing some really tacky 1980s shorts and I was there and we were buying Charleston shoes and everlasting gobstoppers and all this amazing candies from the 80s right that made us who we are as humans And, and I was in the store and I saw this little circle-y magazine racky thing and I walked up to it and I saw these things that were comic books and this was my first time being exposed to comic books. And my mom, nonchalantly, as she's trying to pack all the goods and ice and stuff we need for the houseboat, I went, mom, can I have one? She said, yeah, pick one. She says, that's the biggest mistake she made in her life. Uh, because I grabbed, and I still remember what I grabbed. Ooh, and hold on, I'll show you what I grabbed. Give me one second. Oh, <laughs> he, oh. he, as he, he. He runs off, away from yeah. his background, which is the yeah. ready room. Spo- so. Spoiler alert. We don't think Michael knows we're I not just, video. <laughs> I, know, I know. Oh, you guys are podcasts? We're oh, podcasts. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll raise it up for you guys. I know. And we this want is, to see it. Yeah. Not only is this what I grabbed. It's the exact issue that I grabbed okay. that day. Okay. Is it the and exact it, copy yeah. of it? The exact copy of it still really? in mint condition. Oh, Marvel Secret Wars. Wow. Oh. Issue number eight, when Spider-Man first got his black costume. So this is really the yeah. introduction of Venom, right? And oh, so yeah. that was the comic I picked. And the reason I picked it, if you anyone looks at the at issue eight yeah. of Secret Wars, the cover, I picked it because it had the most superheroes in it. Because while Spider-Man is in the front in the new costume, in the background, I just saw all these multicolored heroes That's just cool. going at it. So I picked it up. I took it on the houseboat. Again, this mm. is the exact one. So I preserve. I knew at a young age to preserve it in perfect condition. Jeez. And I, I flipped through it. I probably read it 20 times on that trip. Yeah. And I remember the one who stood out to me the most was not Spider-Man, was Thor. I fell in love with Thor that day. I was like, who is this guy? And and uh, Thor and Enchantress were having this little go at it in the, in the whole series. And that changed my life that day because I was like, what is this medium that I've just been introduced to? I went back. I remember asking, where do I buy these? And back then we had a store called Thrifties where you buy ice cream and pharmaceuticals and they had them. But then I found out our town, Pacifica, California, actually had Coastside Comics, a comic book store. And I walked in there 
And I'm telling you, that was the day I knew I needed a job because I needed to <laughs> afford to buy as when my mom would only give me a dollar a week. And, and that only got me back then. This was a 75 cent comic at the yeah. time, right? So that got me one comic a week. And I was like, this isn't enough. So I started working at age 11 to buy my own stuff. I haven't stopped working since age 11. Jeez. And it was, it was to fuel, it was to fuel my comic love. So, so writing started then I started writing my own comics. I started making my stories. And then at age 15, my friend Roman Lopez, I still remember into this day, he introduced me to champions RPG. Okay. And from there heroes unlimited. And from there okay. I stumbled onto Marvel TSR and I started this habit after I started running my own games at age 15, that I would go home and I would write them up. Oh, cool. So no matter what happened, I wrote them. So I actually have yeah. stories going back. I'm not going to say how old I am, 30 something years. And I have, I can still to this day, go back and see all the adventures we ever played. Well, I will say you are, you are as young as we are. Yes. And you look a lot better than we do. So good oh, on yeah. you for making that work. Yeah. <laughs> I'll quote the Dolly Parton thing that I mentioned earlier. It takes a lot of money to look this <laughs> cheap. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's Didn't that's really it. cool though. I mean, that's that's just for being nine and then fifteen. That's that's prescient. Like most kids, I mean, we were there. It was the same time of life. It was the same time of history. We were all reading these things, but most of us weren't thinking about like preserving it, telling it, saving it. The eighties were an amazing time, and I, I mean, were. now that we're past it, you know, for those who lived through it creatively for the twentieth century, the eighties was an amazing time of explosive ideas and yes. there was enough similar to the internet now yes. media yes. was growing in radio and tv where yeah. we were blown away with the ideas that were coming off whether it was yep. go bots or transformers teen yeah, and digitals my little ponies my mind was exploding constantly with ideas and, and, and science and technology and arts and the humanities and they were yes. all cross feeding right for like like the very end of like 79 80, 81, 82, maybe into the mid to late 80s. It was just explosive. Yes. Yeah, the, the syndication of amazing shows like Lost in Space, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, yeah. merging with the rebirth of Star Trek, <clears throat> Buck Rogers, Aaron Gray. Let's pause for a moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't remember that one. Mm, I or, met her in person, too. Oh, Aaron Gray. Oh, wow. Come on, yeah. you'd watch Buck I, Rogers. I know. So it took me a moment. With, with I Twiggy loved, and... I loved Buck Rogers as a kid, though. I went about four or five months ago. I went back and I watched some clips of it. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, that plays a little rougher in 2023, although I will never tire of the disco scenes of how period they <laughs> oh, were. Oh, with the ropes. With, oh, with the ropes. The, with, the, with the ropes and like, they, what are they even doing? <laughs> me and my sister, <laughs> me and my sister had a flexible hula hoop and yes. we would imitate that dance that they do with Buck Rogers. Like. That was right, so cool. I, I remember I being a little that. kid like, this must be what the future looks like. Yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, the 80s. And so from there, um, then I ended up working for an ad agency at age 18 because I got into, I, I graduated school, I graduated high school at age 15. Um, nice. And then I went and got graphic design courses and I started working for an ad agency at age 18 because back then it was the dot com and they would hire yeah. anybody to do anything because you couldn't find workers. So okay. I was blessed by that. Yeah. So at age 18, I was writing copy for radio and TV 
and I was awesome. doing radio voicing, TV voicing, yeah. putting together commercials. And then I, at age 20, I started my own ad agency.com and I was writing like crazy yeah. um, for that. And so that kind of, that, that just got my chops of writing various things and learning that writing was not about writing what I want, but there's an art form and structure to writing, depending on the medium that you're on. Um, technical writing, stuff like that. I used to do yeah. technical books for MCI. So, so what oh, happened man. is every day I write. And so um, fast forward to 2018, I started a blog with Tony Pye and Colin Wilson and Mark Meredith um, uh, about Star Trek Adventures, which was just starting at the time. Right. And because we're prolific writers, every day we have stuff coming out on this blog, knowing no one's reading it. That's and then all of a sudden in 2020, Jim Johnson, project manager for Modiphius, reaches out to me and says, you're writing a lot of stuff. Are you interested in writing for Star Trek Adventures? Oh, that's so <laughs> cool. I mean, I totally buy that from Jim, but that is so cool. Yeah. And then that's that story. And I, I had done some Kickstarters and produced my own manga and gone to Comic-Con and produced a manga comic book called Game Masters, which I have trademarked, which is really fun. But but this was the one where I can't believe I'm writing for a major IP. Right. Star Trek. And that that really set me off to where I feel I'm now. Um, Jim argues it, but I feel like I'm at the peak of my writing career because I'm writing really what I want passionately, that's which awesome. is Star Trek stuff. So that's the story in a short bit. That's so interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a hard turn. When you write, just because I'm curious, because mm -hmm. I'm not as prolific a writer, especially when it comes to fiction. Um, what is your what does your desk look like? Are you, cause I know I, I watch Jason and he does a lot of outlining and Jason's penmanship is just fantastic. Awful. Do you go? Oh, awful. Oh, I... come on. You should see mine, but do you, oh, so... do you kick off on a computer? I know it's a kind of a, a goofy question. No, it's, I'm just it's always not. Curious. It's I'm not. curious as to how, what's your, what's your workflow? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how my brain works. So, yeah. and it, it applies to everything I do. So I remember in 1998, I had a client I had taken on, and they were a real estate agency. Um, they they were a real estate agency in, <clears throat> pardon me, in San Francisco. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to do something different to get them noticed on cable television. And I couldn't figure it out all day long. I worried. And so I went to sleep. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, I woke up and I wrote out a jingle. And the next day I took it to them. And the owner was like, this is amazing. Let me make a couple tweaks. <clears throat> And we put it on, not only did it kill in the San Francisco market, we ended up expanding into the Seattle market. And I really blame it on, I slept all, all day long. I worried about it. I yeah. went to sleep. I woke up and at night I do wake up and take notes. So okay. my, pro, my process is um, I'm presented with whatever the problem is, whether it's science fiction story or whether marketing issue or talking yeah. points for my boss or putting together yeah, an event yeah. at my company. And I kind of mill on like, what's the goal? What what do I want people to do? What's going to get, what's going to make me buy it? And I just mill on it. I worry about it too much. Like I really am a, a, a I worry about it, but then I, I meditate on it. And then one day the idea comes while I'm running or while I'm at sleep. And then what I do is I outline all my points. So when I do a story, like say for instance, I'm writing a story, I write down all the scenes I want to see. I write them out of order, but I write all the great points and the grisly scenes I want to see and the poignant conflict I want to see. And then what I do, I treat it like puzzle pieces. I stack them and then I weave them together yeah. somehow. Interesting. So, so I'm a yeah. very outline oriented, very, let me yep. meditate on it. And then once I get in the zone, I just dive in and I just weave together all the puzzle pieces. So... Point in fact, you're, I mean, obviously an active and increasingly prolific writer and 
but you have a day job, a high level, right? Executive day job. I mean, how are you, how do you balance that? Um, I'm blessed. I'm going to say, first of all, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm going to think my yeah. blessing starting with my parents who raised me in a very constructive way. <clears throat> um, I couldn't have done it without them. My dad is one of the most creative, happy, positive people on the planet. Cool. My mom is the Donna Reed level mother <laughs> that was on TV awesome. that doesn't that hardly exists anymore. She was a stay at home yeah. mom. So I'm going to have to thank them that I actually had the privilege, which a lot of people don't have yeah. for the stability where I could actually spend my summers playing. Right. You yeah, know, right. That kind of stuff. right. So, so I have to credit that. It's not me. It's not, it's not about me. My job, my day job also is super creative. So I'm in a creative field. So I'm a, I do communications and organizational development, which is all about innovation. I'm here in the Silicon Valley Bay area. Mm -hmm. Innovation is the key. You can't do stuff like other people. So I've been blessed to be pushed and surrounded by creative people where I feel like I'm always in a writer's workshop. And I think it's that, that um, construct that has made it so that I'm kind of always on creatively and even when I'm watching TV or watching movies, I'm actually taking notes on how they're constructing stories and what's working and what's touching me and what's not. Yeah. When I go to a work conference and that person's a dud maybe on the podium, but the next person blows it out the water, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what that formula was. Okay. We were just so, talking about this today. Jason, that's cool. I'm formulaic. I'm very yeah. formulaic. So I, I, I give a lot of lectures. I do a lot of public speaking. I run, I ran a three hour class on time management today for my company. And, and there's formulas to be successful, including with storytelling. All humans know how to tell stories, but very few realize there's actually a hack. There's actually a formula for storytelling. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. How did you end up going into this, this position you are in now as your day job with communications and development and just hearing you talk about time management i'm a, I, I love those type of discussions I mean, ignoring the fact it was a three-hour session on time management still <laughs> yeah but you know what i did half the time just so you know half the time what i did is i give them time yeah, for an hour right. and a half i had them list everything they need to do at work nice. and then and then they what they do is i have them calendar it for the first half of class, they get quiet time yeah. with jazz music on to write down everything they have to do. I show them how Sweet. to calendar it. And then yeah. the last hour and a half is how to manage that calendar when you have interruptions and priority mixes there and stuff go. like that. So so That's it's cool. hour and a half, but I show them the practices I do in daily life to stay right. organized. Yeah. 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 Brad, sorry, I cut you off. Finish your go. No, 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 no. I that yeah. was you kind of I was just gonna say, how did you end up in the position where you you're I think you're lucky to be able to do this type of work. You know, how did you, cause you worked in an ad agency. How is that? How is the path kind of led to where you are now? Sure. So when the dot coms crashed, a lot of my clients started going under yeah. um, our, our business model from, in fact, what's funny, the real estate client, which was my number one client. And I had a lot of others, but they were dot com. So they started going under, uh -huh. but the real estate client, <clears throat> What they used to do back then, because in San Francisco, the vacancy rate was 0.001% during the dot-coms. That's how hard it was to find a place. So what happened is we used to sell listings by landlords. We, they would pay a subscription $90 for three months, and then we'd send them listings before anybody else. So they had the best chance of getting a place. Yeah. Craig Newmark comes along. I don't know if you know him, billionaire, started Craigslist. You're probably familiar with Craigslist. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Craig Newmark comes along and he starts posting the listings for free. Yeah. 
So I had a meeting with my clients in nine, no, in 2001. I sat down with Craig Newmark. We were at Ninth Avenue House in San Francisco on Ninth Avenue in San Francisco and my clients. And you're going to love this story because you guys love RPG and Star Trek. So for the first 15 minutes, I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get Craig Newmark to monetize the listing. Say, hey, you know, make it so people have to pay $10 a month. Well, we have the engine for you to do it. We, blah, 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 tech, 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 blah, blah, blah. 15 minutes, he's not coming. He's like, no, I'm not in it for that. I'm a philanthropist. I'm already a made man. I think we need community boards. I'm here to service the consumer, not the corporation. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So the first 15 minutes, we talked about that. The last 45 minutes, we talked about Star Trek Voyager. Nice. Because he was a Voyager fan. That's and awesome. so my clients were so mad at me. When we walked out of the restaurant, they said, what the heck? That's nice. What the heck were you mm-hmm. doing talking about Voyager for 45 minutes? I said, if you couldn't pick up that on 15 minutes that your business model is dead, then okay. come on. I said, the guy ha- is not money motivated. We're done. And I told him, close it up, close it up. So one, I love the yeah. story just because I, I was like, I need to get out of having my own ad agency and go into real estate, which I did too, because Craig Mark, Craig Newmark's a Star Trek fan. I love the guy. Right. So, and a philanthropist. That's cool. So my point being is what happened is from there, I took all that ad knowledge and ended up going into real estate because in the Bay Area, as long as you're in real estate or medicine, you have a job. So I chose real estate. Um, And the place I was working, I was managing teams of property managers. So I was teaching them customer service and running buildings and finances. But I started touring the company with time management, customer service, and conflict resolution classes, teaching people how to work with people. And I started doing industry-wise. So when our company got bigger and bigger, they decided they they needed as an HR function, organizational development and communication. Then I I climbed up and moved over to the HR side of the company. And that's how I ended up as an executive on that. Interesting. Okay. Fascinating. See, that's just just an awesome- I mean, it's a very Silicon Valley story. It is. But that's so cool. <laughs> okay, so so and this sounds like a joke, and it's not. I've spent. I mean, I've never lived there. I want to be um, aware. Jason I, always prefaces, and then it really does sound like a joke. It, it, I love well, jokes. It, I'm it, cynical, it, so it go might, for it. It might sound like, but it's not. So I I love the Bay Area. Love San Francisco. I've been there over and over, um, recreationally and for family, uh, and ideally both. Um, as someone who was in real estate, what's your thought about things in the Bay Area now, given everything going on? Um, it's insane. It's unfair. And the reason I'm going to say that, but but the problem started a long time ago. I mean, this is going to get deep. You guys are ready to get deep? Let's because the, com- the company I work for now, I work for a nonprofit affordable yeah, that, housing that's developer. That's what I thought, right. Yeah. yeah. And so let's keep in mind that the crisis we're in now is because after Jim Crow laws were abolished yeah. and in, and the laws about fair housing were abolished, mm. what wasn't abolished was the ability for the government to redline. And what that means is like my house that I live in right now, it was built in 1963. Right. And if I look at the deed on it, it says you will only sell it to white people. Holy and what Lord. they did, yeah, and uh, anything before 1978, many of you are going to see on your deeds, if you're in an affluent neighborhood, that it was said you were only going to sell it to white people. So even though segregation ended, real estate law did not catch St. up. St. Paul wasn't like that. Minneapolis was. Right. And yeah. so what happened with that is all the wealth that went up with equity. I was fortunate. My dad always got us into neighborhoods that we were not supposed to be in. My mom's yeah. white. 
Yeah. We knew how yeah. to work that. And so, and so with that, we yeah. got the equity benefits of that. And the right. reason I say that is in the Bay Area, what you're seeing is wealth was purposely, purposely designed by the highway system. And if yeah. you look at yeah. the areas that were redlined, you mm-hmm. also see poverty and crime and lack of services yeah. in those areas too. Yeah. So it's very yeah. strategic. Right? And, and, and that's not by any means unique. To, no. to the bay, but absolutely. Right. Yeah. But what happened, what, 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 and there's a book you could read called Color of Law by Richard Rothstein that shows how mm-hmm. that was designed by the government and approved to make mm-hmm. sure wealth transferred to certain people. But how the Bay Area gets affected by that is that when Silicon Valley, that flipped it because now all of a sudden you had the most um, profitable business with technically the lowest overhead because it was mm-hmm. software, in, it's yeah. computer-based where we became the most sought after place to live in the country. Right. And that inflated prices where these companies who were making imaginary dollars, because we know what happened like in the mm-hmm. 2001 and again in 2008 and 2009, these imaginary dollars fuel the economy. It's not realistic for the blue collar worker or average working family to keep up. Even mm-hmm. retired people, once you get your social security check, you're never going to keep up with the inflationary factors of dot coms. Right in Silicon Valley. So it's a it's a it's a wicked, it's a pretty wicked monster that's out here. So companies yeah. like what I work for, what we do is we use state and federal law in order to build affordable housing where the money is, not nice. out in some next to a chemical plant or next to a railroad track, but in the middle of Palo Alto, where people who work at Starbucks or wipe the butts of Silicon Valley kids like nannies and stuff like that. You don't have to drive two hours away to live. You can actually live in town. So our company Mm -hmm. is all about workforce housing and and letting uh, kids who graduate college or seniors who are retiring stay where you grew up and keeping community together. That's That's what that's what we do. That's that's so cool. I mean, so like like we often like we often will talk as a family like wouldn't it be cool to be able to move out to california right we all love it and we all we all know it and 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 i'll i'll say to our daughters and they've heard this they they finally are getting it they're like well but you would like people make more out there i'm like yes i would make and same with my wife i would make twice as much as i'm making now but it would cost at least three times as much do you know it's i mean to your point Okay, first of all, a family in Silicon Valley in the area where we oh build our God. properties, they're considered low income if they make under $114,000 a year. That's low right. income out here. Right. In to addition, in order to even think of buying a house in San Francisco or Santa Clara, you have to make a minimum of $348,000 a year as a household. Think about that. I, I asked uh, in the before times, so five years ago, uh, <clears throat> we, we, we had we had we we there was a family event we were all coming together um not really close to them but they live where where does my cousin and her husband they they live um i think in mountain view i think it's no i think they're actually in cupertino they've been okay. there they've been there for since like i don't know two 90s probably 90s right. so right. they and so i'm sitting with with my cousin's husband lovely guy i'm sitting sitting with him that sunday morning after the event and i'm like okay so so very serious here. If if I want to move out to the Bay Area eventually, like way out, and this is what at least five years ago, at least, I'm like, very truly, what what do I need to do? And 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 he said he's like, what you do is you buy a house for a million dollars. 
whatever you can find, wherever you can find it, and you hold it for one to two decades until you're ready to come out here. And then you sell it to try to downsize and live where you want to live. And I'm like, and that's, you're being serious. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's it, right? There's a reason that the census actually decreased for the first time for California. Yeah. I mean, I know that for like, if my dad had not bought in 1978 in a, a suburban town that at that time was on the lower end because it didn't really boom up till the eighties. Remember it was after the SNL scandals and the eighties really drove is what went crazy. Right. Right. So, so if my dad had not bought in 78, that created a cycle again in a place where you can grow equity because he wasn't in a red line area. I could not have stayed in the Bay area because I was able to save enough money to buy my first home and then upgrade into the home now. But I'm at the point now with the inflationary factors that if I ever had to sell my home, I can't, I wouldn't want to stay in California. I'm moving to the South. I'm going to South Carolina. Yeah. That would be a favorable financial difference. (laughs) Right. Like, because out here, I don't, I don't want to work to have a home. Right. I want to work to live. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. But too many people out here are working just to have a place, a roof over their head. You know, that's the only reason they, they have to work. They have no choice. But and it's important that people hear this because you know Jason and I are Midwest, um, and he and I are plugged into it. Whether it's for family or business or just personal interest, I don't think people realize. You know, there's all this division and sniping back and forth regionally and all that. I don't think they realize the challenges there are living in that area. It's not let alone if you're living in that area. And I hate to say it, not my color. You know? yeah. Oh, oh my! I mean, well, yeah. well, well. Here's the weird thing, though. Again, they've changed it in the Bay Area, and this is going to happen throughout the country. People want to make it a color issue. It's no longer a color issue. It was initially when it was incepted, but what's happening now is what has happened historically through human history. Yeah. Because remember, racism didn't really start till the 1500s. Right. I can get, I can get into that. Right? Racism was a tool yeah. purposely manufactured yeah. from a certain yeah, organization absolutely. with five papal decrees. That's a clue. Go look it up. But but if you look historically, people have always been divided by economics. Always. And so mm-hmm. what's happening now, now that color, now any color can really make money. Mm-hmm. Now what you're seeing happen is is the divisions are happening economically. Yeah. Yeah. And in the Bay Area now, it's an economic separation yeah. where where people who grew up in their neighborhoods can are being priced out, which yeah. Breaks up communities. And it, yeah. I want to know all my neighbors. I know I do, because that creates safety when you know everybody. Yeah. Um, but we're in such a transient area in the Bay Area. That's why we're seeing higher crime. People just don't care about each other because you don't know who your neighbor is. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. That's why I'd rather move to a small town and know all my neighbors. Because well, yeah. safety yeah. factor is just so nice, you know. Yeah. Well, let me ask, because that you bring up a great point about the the stratification based off of economics versus demographics. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think if you moved wherever it would be, cross country, whatever the case is, do you feel like it would be a major cultural shift because maybe there that's not as progressive? It's not as progressive an area. No, I'm I'm asking not no, because I know and, the answer. No, and I'm, here's the reason why my sister lives in the South, okay. right? And and she lives in Charlotte outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly am gonna give it to people. I think most people are decent loving, kind people. I think people get mean when you threaten them with fear or finance and that fear can come through propaganda and stuff like that. Right. And and so, and so 
I believe that people react a certain way, whether you want to call it bigotry, racism, diverse, uh, um, you know, anti-diversity, because mm-hmm. they're being forced, something's being forced on them to change. But honestly, like my dad, think about it. He lived in the South during segregation. Yeah, We moved to a town that was predominantly white people. We had only five black families in the thing. He says, he says to me, he says, sometimes people aren't just racist. He said, he used to say to me, he says, people don't assume people are racist. Sometimes people are just jackasses. And what that meant was a jackass is going to be a jackass for whatever reason they want to be a jackass. They don't need a reason. Right. And I remember him telling me that because it's equally racist to assume that because someone is white in, I'm just saying my example that, that, that that they're going to lean toward racism. That's equal racism. In my opinion, we have to really talk to the people and get to know them and meet people on a personal level, because I do believe that people are victimized purposely in the same way in this governmental struggle struck yeah. system no matter what color of skin some purposeful victims like imagine if you can like think about go back to i'm gonna boy you're really getting deep here <laughs> suppose you go back to germany yeah. in you know 1933 yeah. and 1936 and 1939 and you have an entire government only giving you money and wealth if you act racist Imagine mm-hmm. that. You, mm-hmm. Do you realize the kind of character people have to be to fight against that when they're the yeah. beneficiaries of the racism? Mm-hmm. So, so, so we have to understand that there are bigger minds out there who constructed a country to benefit you if you're racist. Mm-hmm. Who do you blame for that? Yeah. Right. And so, but if you treat each person, I believe if you give people true equality and put people on an equal loving level playing field mm-hmm. that met, you know, that men, women, children are going to be nice. Yeah. I just think that the constructs yeah. that we live in religious business and, and political are built to create divisiveness to make Absolutely. that 1% who are manipulating it yeah. richer. Yeah. But us yes. stuck, us stuck in the middle are the victims. <laughs> well, and you have, you know, you have, this is such a fascinating discussion. I, I want to turn it for just a second. How do you feel like Jason and I have found in the, the gaming community, the tabletop community and all that, it's one of the most inclusive yeah. open groups that we surprisingly seen, so yeah, or been a part of, um, you know, what's been your experience? Cause you've worked just based off of this discussion, you've been in these different environments. And so you have a perspective that honestly yeah. I don't have. Well, and with the website, you're interacting with so many people so much. Yeah. yeah. I, again, think about it. You're coming into a gaming space with this. Is what I look about RPGs. Mm-hmm. Once you buy the book, you have games for life. You don't need yeah. to spend another dollar. If yeah. you don't want to, you can buy the core rule book. And if you have a creative set of people, you don't have to ever spend another dollar. So you've removed- don't, don't ever tell my wife that <laughs> right. ever. It's okay. She doesn't listen right. ever. Yeah. My, my point is this, when all of a sudden finance is out of the way. Right. And again, fear, because everyone's just coming to have a good time and play. Yeah. You can invite anyone to the table. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes games. Because children, think about it. You take a bunch of five-year-olds, one from every country on the planet, and give them a soccer ball, racism doesn't come up. In fact, even if they don't speak the same language, That's right. it's been proven that if you put them together for a year, they'll start adapting a language to communicate. So racism is not natural. It's a tool used for certain purposes to divide. So in the gaming community, I remember um, I had a conversation recently where people were like, well, gaming is so predominantly white guy. It's like, yeah, but remember, 
they're all in the same neighborhood in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Our neighborhoods were purposely segregated so that we can't interact with other people. Mm-hmm. So, so okay, so now you have white people. But then again, a gaming store is considered extra money you have to spend. That's what poor disenfranchised families, right. th- lower income, they don't have money for comic books. I grew up in a white neighborhood. I did. I could spend five bucks a week on comic books. You don't have that in the inner city. So you have mm-hmm. white people who've been penned together purposely by the government, and then they have the money for for extra income for gaming stores. So of course, they're all going to be white sitting around the table. Mm-hmm. See above what's happening and see the constructs that we live in, right? Yeah. So gaming to me now with the internet, you have more inclusivity where people don't have to live in the neighborhood to play together. Yeah, That changes yeah. the game and that really breaks does. down color lines. It breaks yeah. down color lines. That's the time we're living in now, which I'm so excited about. That is cool. Okay, so maybe this is pivoting a little too much, but kind of along the same lines. Um, obviously, without giving anything away, because like you told us off here, I mean, we know you're working on a bunch of stuff, but like looking out in the future, is there any, and maybe it doesn't even have to be game related, Michael, are there things, whether they're IPs or types of projects or whatever, are there things you would love to someday be able to write things you just you haven't had an opportunity to do that are different um i do keep myself along one guideline of what i'm willing to write for and i have to write for a positive ending there's enough darkness shoot them you know even like what goes on in america with the shooting and the violence do i ever want to say that my game contributed to that person thinking that violence was the best solution yeah. I think deeply about things like that. Do I ever want to have a game that encourages darkness? You know, I, yeah. I just don't. That's not my personality. I have no interest in that whatsoever. So as long as I can write for something that people walk away and they feel good, refreshed, positive, and maybe it has some application in real life to them, mm-hmm. then that's okay. But there would stuff be stuff definitely I say no to because I don't think it's, there's enough of that. I don't right. need to be... I don't need to be there. There's enough of that. And I understand what I want to write is not popular. That shows a lot about the state of the planet, in my opinion. Um, but I I just want to make sure that my nieces and nephews, when they pick it up, that they, after reading it, they feel good and it's wholesome. And that may be corny nowadays to some people, but you know what? There's 99% of not wholesome. Let me be the 1%. Yeah, seriously. You know, you know I, I think I may have mentioned this when we talked on your show, or maybe I didn't. You know, what we're doing now, I always tell Jason, once our, you know, once we're long gone, our kids are going to be able to hear us and hear us talking about these topics. And hopefully in some form or another, it if they haven't already been spurred towards doing right and doing good and doing toward the light, that it helps. Um do you, you know, I wanna believe that. Yeah, there's and I think there's a lot of darkness out there. Let's be honest. It's very hard yeah. to even turn on the news. Um, Mm -hmm. other than you need to keep informed, you can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. Do you see any sort of, I would almost argue, I would almost argue, sorry, I'm rambling. I would almost argue that there is becoming, there's more and more need and more and more interest in reading that positivity. I think people are getting, I think people are getting sick and tired, but I think that's why, you know, Trek, Trek, solar punk, all of this stuff coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the popularity, positive, even positive superhero films, ones that right. are good and the heroes win at the end without having to kill everybody. Yeah. 
Right. I remember coming out yeah. see, after Infinity War and just being bummed, but coming out after Endgame. Uh, and and I and I uh, tell my son, my son and I went and saw a midnight showing of Endgame. I had to get on a plane the next day to go down to San to Orange County. Mm-hmm. But I went and saw from midnight to 4 a.m. Endgame, and I came out feeling empowered, you know, and positive yes. and hopeful. Oh, I get you to know. tell my story then. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I took but- I took I took my dad with me because my dad was big into comic books growing up too, right? And I can't believe as a grown man, I re- I still remember this scene when Captain America grabbed the hammer when he oh. when he pulled the hammer, yeah. and I I actually was holding my father's hand. My man, my at that <laughs> That's time he was seventy three years yeah. old, I think, right? And we were both crying, happy, <laughs> and that whole scene from there. All the way to to your left, we lost it when it said to your left. Oh, we Sam did that really yeah. lost it. I the theater in San Francisco. Sometimes you get these theaters. We we're in San Jose, but the theater was ro- roaring and cheering, yeah. and that kind of feeling, like me and my dad crying, each other excited. Like I'm like, that's what I want to write. That's what I want that's every awesome. single time. And you knew who the heroes were at the end. You there was yeah. no question who the heroes were. That was brilliant, brilliant writing. I, I still think as much as, you know, I we could discuss Trek movies. I think that group of movies, uh, you know, culminating with Infinity War and Endgame, um, some of my favorite films, period. Yeah, last greatest um, movie of all time. Until until someone dares to try to replace it, Endgame, last greatest movie of all time until I see someone replace it. I took pictures of the in the theater because here in Milwaukee, we have this theater group that makes these theaters with all luxury seating and everything. And they have the digital screens up there with the, with the movie names. And it was 15 end games, 15 end games and one captain Marvel. And (laughs) nice. And I thought to myself, okay, you sent us a picture of that. I did (laughs) because, because I came, I looked at that and I'm like, you know what? Okay. If people weren't just grasping by their fingernails for positive yeah it it just i don't think it would have had that even though it was phenomenal acting and great plot and a great story culminating what 21 movies all into this one thing right i don't know if we would have seen that positivity so what for whatever it's worth do you know how much um, brain work that takes again i want to give i want to give um a lot of kudos and praise to the writing group there and this is why most writers I'm going to say most writers without any equivocation. Most writers will fall back on violence, vulgarity, or gratuitous sex in order to get attention in that dopamine pop. And there are a minority of writers who can say, you know what? I'm not going to use any of that and still captivate people. That is a rare skill right there. Yeah. And, and that's that's the kind of person I want to be and I, I strive to be. Is like, can I do that in everything that I do? And still give people that endorphin rush. That that to me is victory because it's too easy to fall back on the other tropes. Drop an f bomb yeah. here, drop you know, right. and it's just like okay, but can you communicate viscerally without doing that? Yeah, that's a skill. Because believe yeah. me, my wife will say it t- to anyone. I can insult someone without ever saying a swear word. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, you can do that. Very well, thank I, you. You could do that use, with just Jason could do that with just a look with his eyes. Oh, I use a create. I use it. She says she says you use a creative combination of words that people are like great, and they walk away. And about three minutes later, it hits them in the back of the head, and they turn around. Like, oh, he just called me an a hole. <laughs> oh, in fact, I had a friend once. I remember he was being a complete dork, and I said, "Okay, Oswipe." 
He called me back the next day. Can you figure it out when I called him? Yeah, ass wipe. I'm, we're putting an expletive on this one, Jay. Sorry, that's no. I problem. already had but, a tag. We're good. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. and I, oh, I called him funny. Osweepe, and a day that later he good. says, "You, yeah." I'm like, let's get creative with this if you're going to really insult someone. <laughs> See, we've never used that, Jace. I'm surprised. Oswipe is a good one. That, I'm going to have to remember that. Although, and he was, and he speaks yeah. Spanish, which made it better because I, I knew he spoke Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's. <laughs> we've fallen back on the old Esfinger says what, but we haven't gone what? down the. That's a good exactly. One. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can use Oswipe. Oswipe yeah. use that. Thank you. Yes. That's, that's a good one. So, yes. yeah, I just <laughs> having these type of conversations too. It just, I think that's, you know, going back to why you why you write and why you do what you do and probably, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm assuming that's probably why it would attracted you to Trek. It's what attract Jason and I mm-hmm. to Trek the positivity. And let's be honest. It's not easy. It's not easy to get an endorphin rush. If you want to do it physically, you got to exert yourself. If you want to do it, you know, turn on TV. It's not easy to find stuff that will give you no. an endorphin rush. I got an endorphin rush when the enterprise D came out of uh, the Star that was Man. just a text storm. Oh my god! Oh god! Yeah, yeah. I cried like a baby. I still get teary one. when I see that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it sounds. I think for what I know of both of you, you know, you're both in long term relationships, and I think the younger generation is going to have a harder time understanding this. Is we know we live in a society of instant gratification: swipe left, swipe right. Yeah, instant gratification, literally. Like, yeah. Um, but when I look at my parents who've been married now fifty four years, yeah. nice. That's a kind of love and endorphin. A lot of these people never know. They'll never know. And a story yeah. is the same way. These people want to rush through these quick stories with action. Every I, like Transformer movies. Sorry, yeah. I hate them. Fast and the Furious. Sorry, I do not I've, like I've them. I've never seen any of them. Okay, so mm-hmm. the, the like yeah. they, I, I walk out every time. I can't take it. But when you get a slow grind story, storytelling, and you get to the ending, and you really put your phone away for two hours, there's an endorphin rush that. You'll never want to two, go back to the two to words. The One of my fa- absolute favorites, Apollo thirteen. Yeah. Oh, I can do uh, so many yeah. Amadeus. I I sent my friends to, or 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 the uh, or uh, even the longest day. Great war movie from the you know like th- this generation doesn't know how to slow down. Let the story bake. Ride yeah. it all the way through the end. Yeah. How yeah. do you feel about that? There's stuff to talk about. Right. You know, and I think that that's what's happening with this generation. They're going for this, you know, TikTok level entertainment, and they forgot how to meditate on a good story. Um, you know? kind of riffing on that again is maybe as we start to head toward the end, which of what will hopefully only be the first of many times you join us. Fingers crossed. Um, you, I want to come back to where we started briefly. You were the lead writer right on star trek adventures captain's log mm-hmm. huge undertaking i mean you you already know what we think of that book but we'll say it again it is it is just a work of art it is just a glorious glorious thing but we've also been in another context one or two with you where you've said it was also a hell of a lot of work um especially given that you appear to have a life beyond this you know um professional and you don't look beat up and worn out like we do yeah mostly brad so what what like would you would you take on something like that again or or soon i mean like like what Uh, let me do it this way so that you don't have to because we're we're not asking specifics i'm curious like when you look over the next 
five to 10 years of writing and project work in, in this venue with RPGs. Is that something you could see fit or is it just so much? Well, here's what was hard about it. Um, I'm a less cooks in the kitchen kind of person. Right. Yep. Opposite, but wonderful. Jim Johnson is a let's get as many people through the door to write as possible. Yep. So he was busy with three projects at the time. And he asked me if I'd be willing to lead write on Captain <laughs> Captain's Log. <clears throat> and he had already picked kind of who he wanted to participate. Mm -hmm. So it was a wonderful thing. I didn't work alone. Again, there were literally like 10 other people who did some sort of contribution to yeah. it. It was just wrangling that many cats was yeah. hard for me because I'm always at work when I'm working on projects. I'm like, do you have to be in this meeting? Is there mm -hmm. something else mm -hmm. you could be doing? I'm just like that. So um, would I like to do, it's going to sound weird. Would I like to do a project as big again? Yes. Okay. I would make it easier on myself by having less cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, 100%. And that's hard because Jim Johnson and it has, is such a big heart about giving people their first chances. I want to that's emulate awesome. that. I want to emulate that. So, yeah. so that would be the balancing act. So you're saying you'd be okay running an entire series of these where you could just oversee it. Mahaha. Nice try. Nice try. Two minutes There's not a spoiler there. That was well. No, I was like two minutes after this. Jim, he gets an email from Jim of so I hear you're you're ready to do no. So here's here's what's special about Jim. I don't know how Jim does it. Honestly, the fact the amount of material he project manages. He's a he's a project management superhero. I'm not even. I do project management, not even at his level. So this guy is a genius for that. We've had pretty deep conversations, especially you, Brad, with Jim about project management. I just don't, I mean, I consider myself a reasonably intelligent guy. I can track, but I don't know how he can run so much that's so divergent right. and be fully immersed moment to moment in each of those projects. Yeah, like and I need my eight hours of sleep. Yeah, like yeah, I, exactly. I, yeah, like yeah. I need my eight hours of sleep every night. Like if I don't get my eight hours, I'm a wreck. I, so I don't, he doesn't sleep. I don't. He, I, I don't mean, think he does. I, I, no. I don't. I don't get it. Neither. And I mean, he's just. A, I think he's probably in close proximity to our age, so we know that. Oh know, yeah. It's yeah. not. He's. He can't do the. He can't. None of us can do the. You know, I'm 20 years old. I'm going to drink four Red Bulls exactly, and, and power through a 36-hour session. But this if you think like about that. it, he looks kind of denobulin. So I think he might be denobulin, and I don't think they I'm sleep. Not like touching that with a ten foot pole. Every eight weeks, he sleeps. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, clever. I have. He does have a fairly wide grin. Uh, man, I've seen oh him go. <laughs> for those who didn't see i just did the john billingsley with the big right. smile i love that right okay i want to wrap wow. up but we you asked you asked this question when we were on your show and even though we're going to have overlap um your if you can only pick one favorite star trek character oh seven of nine no doubt okay. oh why and i oh oh okay i've written a dissertation about it it's on my blog on continuing missions. You could type in Michael seven of nine. Um, she is, she, I believe is an equal character to Spock. I think, you know, in 55 years when people are looking back, seven is nice. the Spock of our generation. She, because of TV show limitations and because of what I think was sexism back then when people were writing shows, she yeah. was totally underutilized. And I'm just going to give you one example that sells it. Yeah. This woman 
has in her brain the collective memory of thousands of species. Yeah. You could do a show by herself, MacGyver level, where every episode she clicks into one or two of those species to solve the problem. So maybe it's a new science way or fighting style or knowledge that they had. So we didn't even get to delve into what is in this woman's head. Yeah. She is a fascinating conundrum of a being. But more so than that, I think she would view, and I wrote this in um, Utopia Planitia. I wrote it in a side box, if anyone noticed it, the, the Utopia Planitia um, campaign guide. She, I think, would view Starfleet as another type of collective, because if yeah, you don't right. agree with them, you get blackballed. I think mm -hmm. she's the ultimate modern social rebel. And what they did with her in Picard, I was yeah. cheering in season one when she was a Fenris Ranger. Right. Basically, yes. she took everything right. she knew from Starfleet, but she also took the time she spent with the Maquis over four years listening to their plights, Bellana Torres, yep. Chakotay, the others. And she was like, okay, so Starfleet isn't always just. And she said, I'm going to take this wealth of knowledge I have. I'm going to rock this universe. I'm going to make my, I'm going to be so individualistic. It's going to shake up these organizations. She is the ultimate character. And I'm telling you right now, David Mack is about to do a book on her. I can't wait to read it. Cause I talked to David Mack. He's an author for um, yeah, yeah. Star Trek books. Absolutely. And he knows I'm a big seven fan. And I think he's about to rock the world with seven of nine, how he portrays her in this upcoming novel. Oh, so awesome. she, she to me is the spot. She's everything I want to see in a character. Have you ever had a, ever had a chance to, to meet Jerry Ryan or anything? I mean, I have never met. I wish. No. Yeah. And you know, the thing is too, I would, I already know how I would dignify her is that I would, I would be like, I would tell her, you know, I wish you had a chance to write the character while you were playing it. Yeah, nice. Because <laughs> the direction she's taking it already is so correct that if we let Jerry Ryan, who's so intelligent and so creative as an actor, write that character, we'd be blown away. Just like Leonard Nimoy got to write Spock. They need to give her the same rights. Uh, these th just this last five minutes right here, Michael, this is why we and so many people love reading your mm -hmm. work. Oh the, the, no no the creativity I mean just I just hats off well I mean said. my God yeah so creative I read your stuff and and now I know where it's coming from in some of these books of of like I've said to Brad how how do they how do they go there how do they get there I don't know how you do it but I'm gonna keep reading it oh you're so nice and I, I'm reading your book too I got I'm waiting for the ePub you're supposed to oh, tell me when it's electronic um, so I can read it on we'll, my Kindle we'll we'll let you know it's uh, any week now well by the time this drops hopefully it will have been long out but we were told two or three after publication so we'll see yeah that's awesome and your next no, one I, is your next one's in the works too well, next one's well in the works yeah nice do you know when it's going to be out well we still have to get a contract we have a we have a oh. soft yes uh we have a soft yes, but uh, I haven't even guesstimated. Um, one, uh, my if it goes the same as the first one did, because again we you know we we put a lot of work into it. We submitted things when they were ready, so we didn't get a lot of editing back, right? Good. And we yeah, I mean it's it's yeah, I mean we yeah, I mean we were always ahead of deadline, right? And if you love something. You're gonna do it, right? Yeah. Um, but I'll bet you were a sol. I mean, we would have to be at least two years 
away, maybe, maybe, maybe closer to three, right? Because of the cycle, um, especially for an academic publisher. It's not like they're rushing mm -hmm. to do it. They take their time and they do That's it all. normal. I mean, yeah. I know like, like, like our books, the big ones yeah. take about minimum a year, if not yeah. two years, depending on yeah. distribution issues. So yeah. we're sitting on this stuff and I'm sitting here yeah. biting my tongue and bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's just part of the thing, you know, yeah. hopefully you just have enough work that you're always yeah. writing something. Yeah, that's, that's I'll, awesome. I'll divert because otherwise yep. I'll start spoiling stuff. But um, <laughs> as we wrap up here, one, we have to have you back because there's so oh, many please. Oh, oh my God. We have you guys are it. awesome. Right Two, back at you. We didn't get even a chance to talk about Dune. Um, oh, and we'll have to do that oh, next yeah. time because you have the ultimate version of the Dune RPG core book, which is awesome yeah you guys you can't see michael right now but he looks so happy yeah. it's a nice it's a nice book you yes. know a, a, a well a well-crafted designed yes, book yes, makes yes, you want to yes. flip through it i, I literally right. sit on my couch sometimes watching tv i have the books in my lap and i just flip through yep. looking for design alone guilty i love books yeah. like that guilty yeah. i do that i still do that with utopia planitia as an example because oh. i love this oh my god you Good. know and and i actually even though with captain's log you can use any material mm -hmm. um i keep utopia planitia upstairs with my captain's log just because mm -hmm. i want to find a way to incorporate different ships it's just oh, you can so you easily. know it's so good. and and well, i'm a star our star trek online person so seeing ships from sto in there oh and... well even with captain's log you know that we couldn't get all the tables in there that we wanted the random tables yeah. so i have my five parsecs with home my five parsecs from home tables along with my star forge tables along with some tables i've created See. so i like i think again the place we're at with rpg right now and solo rpg is an amazing time i can't wait to it's see what comes time. of it yeah yeah michael thank you so much for spending some time thank with you, us jason thank you brad you know again thank you to michael for joining us um for this discussion um we've actually recorded to break the fourth wall as i normally do um We've recorded our intro and outro for this very soon after we did the yeah. interview, just because and, and out of sequence, essentially, with some other episodes. Yeah, and we wanted to do this these pieces because the conversation was still fresh in our mind, and yep. um, it was one that we went in directions we didn't expect. And I, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not only fascinated by the work he's done with, and you know, his connection with Jim Johnson and his work that he's done in the Star Trek Adventures world um his professional career oh man um, as you know someone who grew up in the bay area and got involved in um and was running in effect a, a marketing agency at at 19 or 20 you know um well when how old was he when he started college right he dropped that oh yeah 16 six yeah. and i i kind of i it's like we're just gonna keep going we're just we we could stop him right there we're just gonna keep going yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, we were, I mean, truly a, a, a Renaissance person and some, one of, a, we had the opportunity to speak to really a brilliant mind. Um, yeah. Just so facile and also rather humble and just a real delight to chat with. Uh, yeah. I mean, it just, there are, there are few people who, who just kind of bring that, that joy, not to be kitschy, but bring that joy into a room like he does. And I would say, you know, even if you're, I'm finding increased interest. I'm out on Reddit a lot and um, follow the solo role-playing subreddit. And I'm seeing a lot of 
increased interest in captain's log. And I bring that up because um, you see, like, like Michael says in the episode, you know, he worked with 10 plus writers on this, but if you want to see a very polished piece of RPG as lit or lit in an RPG world, um, pick up the book and I'm not trying to shill it or sell it. It's just, it's a really well done. If you're, yeah, if you're a, if you're a solo RPG -er and you haven't watched Trek yet, that's fine. You don't have to, um, you know, think about it. You can have, you can work in a solo RPG world where you're in space, where you're on a planet, whatever the case is, but the material itself is interesting and a good read if you're interested in solo role-playing and how they implemented it and how they wrote it. And I bring that up just because of the work that Michael has done on it. That's just one piece of who he is and, and what you can see the type of work he does. And he says it, I think, you know, he gets involved mm-hmm. with Jim because he doesn't need a ton of editing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I wish I were the type of person that could write like that and not mm-hmm. be edited. Nope. Um, I, I'm, haven't nor will i ever be but um what a phenomenal phenomenal conversation yeah so michael thank you so much i'll let you start so what is um on your desk what is on your laptop what are you working on these days whether it's rpg or rpg adjacent yeah. or whatever the case is. what am i working on maybe on my ipod phone um actually you... something you said in our uh in our analysis of of our interview with michael um made me realize how relevant this is so as we're recording uh i am leaving in a couple days for a work trip i'm i'm you know this already i'm going to phoenix mm-hmm. it's just for an overnight it's to uh meet with my friend and colleague andy uh to to finish prepping uh for a field study we're running later and you know i'm, I'm going to i'm going to be away for an evening i've got a hotel room i'm going to be on a plane right a few hours each way so what am i going to read and i'm i'm reading something right now it's okay. I'm, it's it's not great. It's okay. I'm not going to say more. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what am I going to bring? And, you know, what, what popped into my mind early in the day today was maybe I'll bring Captain's Log. I'm not kidding. Maybe I'll bring Captain's Log with me as my reading material and um, read it on the plane and or read it at the hotel just to get just to get some ideas, right? Just to to have some fun. And so that's that's what's on my desk or um maybe in my bag as it were in in the coming days. I'm thinking I haven't I haven't spent a lot of time with it in the past week or two just because there've been other things. I I'd like just work at home. I've just been busy with other things, but I'm wondering maybe I'll bring that with me for my little work trip um because it would be that dedicated uninterrupted time to just go through it maybe get some more ideas for future trek talks for our star trek new voyages and and whatever what's what's on your desk right now yeah i'm gonna go i don't think i've talked to you about this yet so that i'm gonna go off in a different direction so um chaosium has um stepped up its publishing schedule 
for a number of products. And some of them are related to RuneQuest. RuneQuest. And um, I am going to... I'm going to, in effect, uh, mutilate the, the the terminology, but they're in this mode now where they are publishing about the different cults. For those of us outside of request, think of it. Okay. Think of it as religions, yep. deities, things like yep. that. They came out with the first book. It's the um, Prosopedia. Prosopedia. Yeah, I saw that. And um, I just got because I had pre-ordered them a while back. Um, the Earth Goddesses and the Lightbringers, and the idea yeah. of of like cults and religions and things like that we've always been interested and yeah. talked about that stuff in some form or another but I, even though we're not playing RuneQuest and it, it wouldn't come up it, it isn't going to be on our radar at all until mid 2024 later <laughs> um just <laughs> no, because no get, offense to anyone yeah it's no just... offense i mean we've got traveler next and we're not going to hit that till next year yeah, um yeah this idea of what they've written and what they've put together and i'll be honest with you i love the wizard stuff but the rune quest stuff the way they're publishing it yeah um for me it scratches an itch in terms of how they're organizing things um what do you mean? i like i like the fact that um titles are straightforward i know what i'm getting in the book um they are actually interesting reads um because you're reading about you're in effect reading about the history of the rune quest words glorantha or whether you're playing on a whether you're playing somewhere else but um it's i remember years back we had we you took the actual class i had the book on um comparative religions this was yeah. eons ago yep these books remind me of an rpg version of that where really? i can go in i can go in and see and look and read about these different yeah types of of worshiping of higher beings cults or whatever the case is within that world and even if we don't necessarily play it right away um i could see how it the way it's organized and the way it's written is interesting and you could apply that into even trek star wars whatever cases we've got a trek i texted you about this earlier today i have thoughts about our next trek talk yes and that now i we will still we still need to to roll in captain's log, but that could be interesting to help inform us. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's so many other things on my desk. I've, I've actually, um, my, other than a couple things that I have on pre-order from Mongoose, um, for traveler, um, and a couple things for chaosium and then in prep for, um, what inevitably, when what inevitably will be coming from Odiphius for Star Trek? Um, <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm. Checkbook, I am. Checkbook open. Yeah, we have no. Yeah, we have no. We have no inside knowledge. We just know that because Jim has actually said on the show there are more more coming. We know there's a lot coming. We don't know what's coming, and we don't we, know when. We we but... have internal like wager type thoughts. We haven't put money on it. You and I have been going back and forth like trying to predict what's coming. We'll see. Yeah. And yeah. I will have to make a very solid case at home um, if I have to order anything recent. But I think I get a pass with with I, I will get a pass yeah. with Modifia stuff because she knows that that's important. Um, it's a work expense. Come on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. granted, we don't we don't generate any revenue on this Not, show. None whatsoever. Right. It's it's actually a 
money suck in some form or it another. does cost a little bit of money yep yeah <laughs> but but um you figure you know what is it uh i don't think i could make money yep exactly um so maybe someday we'll make money um i don't think people would be interested in listening to a un um edited unedited unfettered um, profanity-laced version of Dice and Mind. Well, that would be... Though, though it would be funny because some time back, I don't remember if you said this on air or if we were just joking about it, but you had this notion some time ago of what if on Patreon for subscribers, yes. we would just record our banter before we clicked record for an episode? Yeah. But I can't imagine anyone wanting to do that to themselves. Well, I, I, don't, I can't imagine anyone ever wanting to pay to hear that. No. Um, if they, They're, if they, if nobody wants to pay to listen to what we're doing right now while we're recording, that's right. Nobody's yeah. going to want to listen. Nothing. To nothing's before. as interesting like a, a brief, fast-paced discussion based on thirty years of friendship and context without explanation. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Two middle-aged guys prepping to do a podcast where you inevitably are talking about kids' college colonoscopies and um, what was for dinner the other night. Um, yep. And those are the exciting discussions. Oh, yeah. Those are the those are the top. What I was right. actually talking about, though, as we wrap up, yes. is um, having having a I think we should do a unfeathered, unfettered episode. Um, ex, fully explicit. The only problem is, is that I you don't swear. Not often. You you really don't swear. You have a very and I say this serious. You have a very refined uh, vocabulary and vernacular. I can talk um, good. I'm much I'm much more. I have much more of a sailor streak in me, um, and I'm a little more willing to um, bend the rules. Although I thought I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty good on the podcast. Oh, you're great. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, with that. We'll just leave you all to ponder. I'll just, you know what we'll do is instead of the actual profanity, we'll just use hand signals. So you. Yeah. In, 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 in since this is an, an audio podcast, I want you to know that Brad just gave me a big heart symbol. Yes. Thumbs up. Yep. Exactly. You are number one, Brad. <laughs> all right, everybody. You know the deal. Be well, stay well. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.